Well, Merry Christmas again. And Christmas Day has come and gone. The first day of Christmas, that is. So let me ask you how you feel about that. If you're, uh, we have probably a range of responses of how you feel about that in this room today. If you're a mom of small kids still at the house, uh, you likely feel an overwhelming relief. Uh, You made the magic happen uh, over the last 24 hours, and it was a lot of hard work. And you're likely glad that it's over a little bit. If you're a dad, you may feel a little bit of guilt. That robe you found on sale for your wife didn't quite elicit the response that you had hoped, especially after all the work she put in for the kids. Kids, maybe you're a little bit disappointed. Christmas Day is the best day of the whole year, and now it's over, and you have to come to church now. Are we the only family that had that conversation? (laughs) For many, it's a day of great joy, but for others, it might be a day of pain, remembering those who are not around the tree this year or grieving other losses that you've experienced this year that seem to be highlighted by the joys of others all around you. We're recognizing the fact that we all come uh, into this room with a number of different circumstances and responses to the news of Christmas, Is there one common response that we can all have to the good news that Jesus has come? If you're a musical person, is there one common melody that we can all support and sing, even if we are all singing different parts of the harmony? Well, our sermon text this morning in Psalm 111 gives us language for that type of common response, and it's the language of praise. Right there in verse 1, the psalmist begins, praise the Lord. And what he does throughout the rest of the psalm is he does what he commands in verse 1. He praises the Lord. And uh, he calls us not only to praise the Lord, but he tells us why we should praise the Lord. He gives us reason after reason of why we should offer praise to the Lord as a common response to the things that he has done for us. My hope is this morning as we hear the psalmist's call to praise that no matter what yesterday was like, and no matter what you face tomorrow, we might all together praise the Lord. And that we would be filled not only with a desire to praise the Lord, but the act of doing so together, today and in the year to come. And the psalmist focuses our attention on the works of God. That's a word that he uses five times in this, or six, sorry, six times in this psalm, the works of God. And so I want us to notice two big categories of God's works that the psalmist calls our attention to this morning. God's big works and God's small works. God's big works and his small works. And we'll see how both of those types of works uh, uh, combine together to to elicit a response of praise from us. So first, let's look at why we should praise God for his big works. Uh, This psalm and the companion psalm, the next psalm, 112, are both actually acrostic poems where each individual line of the psalm begins with a successive letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so after that initial call to worship where he says, praise the Lord, there are 22 lines, each for one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And while that doesn't really help us all that much for those of us who don't speak biblical Hebrew— uh, it, for the original readers, it would have helped somewhat because this psalmist is, wants people to praise the Lord. That's the whole point of this psalm. 
And so by organizing his psalm not around a narrative or around a collection of different uh, reasons to praise the Lord, he organizes it around the alphabet so that everybody could remember more easily all the reasons why they should praise the Lord. And at the same time, it has another effect, and that is that it communicates that God's steady goodness, God's works, cover the entire span of our life from A to Z. From the biggest things to the smallest things, God is at work. But what are God's big works that uh, the psalmist focuses on uh, here in this psalm? When verse 2, the psalmist likely has in mind God's big work of creation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. This is a verse that was carved into the oak doors that were over the original Cavendish uh, Laboratory in Cambridge, England. The laboratory where many of the uh, most significant discoveries of physics were made during the 20th century. And it was a reminder to anyone who walked through those doors that the works that you're going to study here in this lab are the works of the Lord. And you ought to delight in them and marvel at them as you study them. Uh, Interestingly, when they moved the laboratory to a new location, uh, they uh, put it above the doors again, uh, only they translated it from Latin into English, and so it still sits above the doors of the Cavendish uh, Laboratory in England. But uh, notice that that the fact that God created everything is is a means of delight for us. We ought to delight in God's creative works because God himself delights in his creative works. John Calvin, the reformer, put it this way. He said, there is not one little blade of grass. There is no color in this world that is not intended to make men rejoice. I don't know about you, but the grass in my yard doesn't always make me rejoice. But it's still designed the marvel of how it grows and uh, the colors of it, the many different colors of it are designed by God to make you rejoice. Do you rejoice when you notice the wonderful things that we see around this season? Have you praised God for the beauty that you've seen and heard over the past few weeks and and yesterday? For those familiar melodies that we all love to sing? For the smell of your Christmas tree? For the creative light displays? For the laughter of your kids? For the joy that comes from fulfilling that item on the Christmas list for your loved ones? The joy of comes of seeing the, the other people that God has created and put into your life. Don't forget to praise God for the wonder of his creation. The big work of his creative work. But there's another big work in the psalmist's mind that he doesn't want us to forget. He alludes to it in verse 6 when he says, He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. And then in verse 9, he mentions it again with the word redemption. He has given, he has sent redemption to his people. You see, everyone, whether you recognize the creator behind it or not, can enjoy the work of creation. But he talks about his people that, he, that are able to see this particular work, the power of this particular work in giving them the inheritance of the nations and redeeming them. See, he's referring back to the Exodus where God came to an oppressed and enslaved people and took them out of Egypt, adopted them into his family, and made them his own. And he gave them the inheritance of the nations, the land of Canaan. You see, in the big work of creation, God makes. But in the big work of redemption, God saves. 
In the big work of creation, God creates. In, the, in redemption, God recreates what has been destroyed by sin. And it's this big work that's ultimately fulfilled in the story that we just heard read from the Gospel of Luke. Listen again to what the angels said to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the psalmist looked back to that day when God took his people out of Egypt, when he saved one nation from slavery and gave them one piece of dirt in the Middle East. But Christ has come not just to save one nation, but to save all nations, and not just to give them the inheritance of a piece of dirt in the Middle East, but to give them the entire world as their inheritance. Have you praised God for the work of redemption yet this Christmas? We just sang, good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Have you done that yet? Have you found time for praise or have have other things squeezed out either the time or the desire for praise? You've probably heard the saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, The idea that the more familiar you are with someone, the less respect or honor you have for them. And maybe you feel a bit like that at Christmas. This is a very familiar story. You've heard it so many times, every year. The same story of the shepherds and the angels and the magi and the baby Jesus. And so familiar it has become, in fact, that you are not struck with the same sort of awe that the shepherds seem to be struck with when they hear the news that a Savior has been born in the city of David. And perhaps you might be tempted to think, well, it's because I'm so familiar with this story that I don't praise God as I ought. But I don't think it's familiarity that breeds contempt. I believe it's forgetfulness that breeds contempt. We don't praise as we ought, not because we are too familiar with the Christmas story, but because often we're not familiar enough with the Christmas story. We forget. We forget that without the light of Jesus, we walk in the dark. We forget that without the cross of Jesus, we will face God's wrath for our sins. We forget that without the birth of Jesus, we have no hope of ever being born again. We forget about our slavery, our misery, and our pain. We forget about all the ways that sin dupes us to continue to do the things that we know we shouldn't, but yet can't seem to stop doing. We forget that without the fullness of Christ, life is empty. We forget, to use words I heard this morning, about the love of the one who left heaven when he could have stayed and stayed on the cross when he could have left. And so if you find it difficult to praise God this morning, begin by remembering all the reasons why you need this newborn Savior to save you from your sins, to do that big work of redemption that we so desperately need and give him praise for the big work of his salvation. But it isn't just the big works of creation and redemption that give us reasons for praise in our lives. Sometimes those seem so big, too big and far away, that we wonder, that we struggle sometimes to praise God. But 
Our hearts and our voices should also be full of praise to God for the small works that he performs in our lives every single day. What do I mean by God's small works? I mean all of those things that God has done for you that aren't written in the Bible. Maybe they're not even written down anywhere or will never be written down anywhere, but they are, they, they, they are the small things that make up your life, the, the actions in your life where God has provided for you, where he has met your needs. Small things that only you know, that demonstrate the steady goodness of God in your life. Look at verse 5. Right in the middle of praising God for his wondrous works of creation this on this global scale and his powerful work of redemption, again, this global big work, the psalmist says he provides food for those who fear him. Marcus uh, told me uh, between services that this is a verse that the pilgrims, when they first came to the New World, hung to again and again during those, that first winter when they had almost no food. They hung to this verse and said, but God will provide food for those who fear him. And this verse wouldn't, would not have come without a little bit of a sting to the original hearers. Because you remember what happened uh, the, uh, almost immediately after God took Israel out of Egypt. Uh, he had just cut the sea in half and he brought them through it and he brought them into the wilderness. Do you remember the first thing, one of the first things that they complained about? We're hungry. We wish we would have died in Egypt but rather than come out here and starve and have to depend upon you to feed us. And God... What are you going to do? Are you going to give us any food? Kids, can you imagine after opening all of the wonderful Christmas presents that your parents got for you yesterday, uh, going into the kitchen and pounding your fist on the breakfast table and saying, where's my breakfast? How are you, how did you going to forget to feed me today? Well, instead of punishing his people for their ingratitude, God gave them food to eat in the wilderness. And listen to what he said when he did so. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. How did they know that the Lord was their God? Because they had food to eat at night, and they had food to eat in the morning. The small act of feeding them, providing for their most basic need... It was God's way of communicating to them that he would not forget to give them the more important things in life. Knowing him and having fellowship with him. And the reason why we know that is if you look right after he says he provides food for those who fear him in verse 5, he, said he, he says he remembers his covenant forever. The act of providing you with a food on your table is a, is a way that God fulfills that ultimate promise of his covenant to be God to you and to your children after you, to always have you near him. He fulfills the promises of his covenant by those small works of grace in your life. The small works are designed to lift up our eyes to the bigger works. Do you find it difficult sometimes to praise God? I certainly do. And when, the, and when we find it difficult to praise God for his big works, sometimes it's just best to begin by taking an inventory of all of the small things that God has done for you to sustain you over the course of your life. When you get hungry, 
like three times a day, he feeds you. Will he not, will he forget to give you the bread of life that will satisfy your hunger forever? When you get sick and God heals you, will he not also heal your soul when it is sick and broken? When you're lonely and God provides you with a friend or with family, will he not also be your friend forever and ever as he promised to do and as he's been for his people forever? If God came down to be with us, how will he forget to bring us to him? He won't. In the same way, we would not buy our kids Christmas presents and yet forget to cook them breakfast. How much more will God, our Father, who has given us his Son, remember to give us everything else that we need in order to love and serve him in this life? Friends, Christmas doesn't erase all the difficulties of this life. It doesn't immediately solve the heartache and the loneliness and the pain and the uncertainties that we face tomorrow. It doesn't automatically fix our broken relationships or erase all of the painful consequences of our choices and mistakes. But it does testify to the steady goodness of God, whose works, big and small, from A to Z, give us reason to praise, even in the midst of our pain. So praise the Lord this Christmas. Take inventory of his steady goodness in your life and offer him the praise that endures forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your mercy and forgiveness for our lack of praise, for our often hearts that are full of praise to other things and excitement for other things, and yet empty of praise to you. God, forgive us of that, and and we pray that you would ignite our hearts so that we might, with our whole hearts, give you praise for all the works that you have done for us. Help us to remember, to remember our need for your works, to remember what you have done for us. Cause your works to be remembered among us so that we might rejoice as we are called to do at this time of year and every time of year. Father, help us to praise the newborn King who has come to save us and to be our King. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.